Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. So, I mean, how do you think about the blog? How did you get started with it? I was working for a government agency. and You're part of the CIA. (laughs) I'm not at liberty to discuss. (laughs) Uh, You were traveling a lot at the time. No, I wasn't doing any traveling. And um, I wasn't feeling stimulated by my job at that point. Weird. Um, Government agency not stimulated by your job. Well, to be fair, you know, I was there for five years. And for the first half of that time... I was as as involved and creatively challenged and stimulated intellectually as any other work I've ever done. Yeah. But equally, in the last half of it, it was equally um, kind of soul crushing. And you know, while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I needed to sort of keep learning about something if it wasn't going to be what was going on at work. And I wanted to learn about wine. And I was finding that there wasn't a way that I was finding easy to do that. I didn't want to read, you know, mainstream wine media. I just had nothing. It wasn't speaking to me at all. And so I was looking at blogs. And some of them I found that I liked a lot. Uh, Many also weren't speaking to me so much. And I realized that the ones that I liked were sort of describing wine in, in contextual terms and personal experiences with it and sometimes were inspiring me to want to try things. And so I just decided to kind of keep a diary slash try to do some of that myself, N- not assuming that I had something to teach anybody because that is still not the way I think of it. More just about, I do have experiences though, and if I'm going to be honest about what I'm thinking and learning about, if I find that interesting when I read what someone else does that, then maybe someone, you know, and actually I wasn't even thinking about anyone else reading it. Um, I never advertised it. It's done anonymously. You know, it, it was really was and mostly still is for myself. Although I, I will say that, you know, like anything in life, your interest and your ability to spend time ebbs and flows. And now it's at a point where when it ebbs, I don't feel the same liberty that I used to to sort of walk away from it for a little while. Got it. You know? But, anyway. you know, you, you have come up with about 150, 140 posts a year. Uh, for several years, um, it's you know it's a lot of time commitment. Last couple of years, it's less. Less. Yeah. Right. One of the things that I've noticed about you is that you seem to have developed a series of features, like things that you 
do regularly, like you be the sommelier, where you have waiter uh, readers pick out wines that might work with a meal that you list. Um, it seems like that is a way of kind of um, bringing to bear a little bit on the empty page, you know, a way of getting writing again. Like if you have a template already in mind, it's easier to kind of combat that, what am I going to write about today syndrome, which can happen when you look at just an empty screen, you know, is it, do you look at it that way or do you look at it as just themes that you're returning to because you have a constant dialogue with them? Definitely you're, you know, what you're looking, the way you're seeing it is definitely part of it. Um, it's nice to, I think it's just nice to sort of have things that you return to, but only if they're fun and they're always going to be way shorter than anything else that I would do. I've had several of them over the years. My personal favorite one was when I was really trying to learn as much as I could about um, champagne. You know, I used to do this thing that I called Friday Night Bubbles. Yeah, Friday Bubbles. Because I really was doing it. I mean, this was, uh, you know, my um, ex-wife and I would, would, we would drink a bottle of champagne every Friday night and it was nice. And, you know, I would always take a few photos of it and write whatever I thought about the wine and put it up on Friday Night Bubbles. That was an example of, it was truly, really for me. Uh, it was just kind of a, a record of what it was that we were drinking and what we thought about it. Um, you know, the, the UB the sommelier thing, I think, was a way of saying, I'm conscious of the fact that I write a lot on this blog and people's interaction with it is to read it and then to go read whatever else they're going to read. Wouldn't it be neat if I put something up where the interaction is supposed to be you writing something? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to write something really little and hopefully it'll be something that uh, should be universal to anyone who's going to spend time reading a wine blog. Mm -hmm. They they hopefully have thought, well, what would I what would I drink with that? And you know, I was just trying to tap into that. And the first few I did had such a nice response as far as the number of comments and the type of conversation that I liked it, and I kept doing it. As soon as I noticed that sort of start to peter out, I kind of walked away from it. And I, that I feel fine about. You know, I don't feel obligated to continue doing anything. Not um, I don't really have any features I can think of now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's also, so I would say it's mostly that, but also it's nice to have things to sort of do once a month if you're not, you know, I, I always have felt that I'm not going to put filler on the blog. If uh -huh. I have something to, if I have something I want to say, something about what I'm thinking or what I've learned, then I'm going to happily put it up there. Um, but I'm not going to put something up because I feel like I should keep posting. And I think that's reflected right now. I'm posting less than I sort of ever have. It's about once a week and it used to be three times a week. So, I mean, you don't have an editor. You don't have, uh, obviously, a reporting crew. There's no advertising. Uh, there's no deadlines. Um, you know, what is it that makes you decide, I want to write about this and not that? I mean, you go to one tasting, you go to another tasting. One of them might get written up, one might not. Is there something that that tends to be a common thread that you recognize where you're like, huh, that really is striking a chord with me, or it's not. Is there a common story? I would say there are two at this point. Um, the, the, most, the, the first one is if I've learned something that I think is interesting, or if it's made me, you know, if I have something that it has stimulated thoughts that I feel like sharing. Sure, and uh, I can think of several pieces that you've done that that's been clear. Like, you know, where you've said, well, this is something that I had not realized before and I wanted to share it with you. And sometimes it's very easy to do that. Um, you know, in October of last year, I went to Spain to the Sherry Triangle and, you know, not because I learned so much about it, but because 
almost everyone else knows so little about it, there was right. plenty to share. Right. Things that would be rather simplistic if you discuss them in the context of other wines. Such yeah, sure. As, if you're talking about the basics of Burgundy, people might yeah, be exactly. like, hey, I've, I've covered this before in class. But exactly. there's just not so much out there for some of the particular sherries in particular. You're talking about some of the bodegas. There's just no, there's no knowledge. And also just little, little things, simple things that with other wines also would come off as being simple. Like the idea that with, you know, brown cherries, it's nice to open them in advance of drinking them. I mean, I know that's obvious if you're talking about a lot of other wines, but a lot of people wouldn't think that necessarily. So in those cases, it's easy. Um, then in other cases, you know, um, you know, to come up with something that I feel like is worth sharing, it doesn't mean that it has to be profound. It just means that I didn't know it before. And I'm not, it doesn't bother me if people, let's say like you or Peter Lehmer, people like that would know it because you guys are, you know, are top pros. I mean, just most of us don't know that. And so I feel comfortable as long as it's something that I don't know writing about it. I'd say the second thing is if I do something that I know is a special thing, like an opportunity to drink a certain wine or a group of wines that is very unusual to have that opportunity, then I try to write about it just because it's unusual. Um, you know, I used to write more than I do now. And I had, you know, then it was sort of easier to write things, easier to pick things right because I wasn't picking. Now I just don't have as much time, mm -hmm. and so I'm a little bit more picky. I've been wondering lately, though, if uh, I'm too picky, you know, if the stuff that I'm putting on now is always, you know, about something that's unusual to have the opportunity to drink or, I don't know, if it's getting too esoteric. I Where you, you feel like you're not speaking to a broad base of people because it's a little bit like they may never encounter that bottle. So they're kind of like, oh, I don't know. I mean... This yeah, maybe, it's not maybe, part of my normal life, you know? Maybe. I mean, I never used to wonder about that, and I was writing about things that back then I thought were weird and esoteric right. things, and now perhaps aren't anymore, especially in New York City. Well, I found one of the things that you've been is kind of, an, as it was once said, an early adapter. I remember Greg Del Paez wrote about you as being an early adapter. This is oh, a I didn't guy. See that. <laughs> yeah, he wrote about um, your blog and other blogs as, you know, this is a good way to get a glimpse of what's probably going to be more popular in a few years because you kind of have a track record of doing that. Um, where you've said like, hey, you know, I'm really into this. And then, you know, it's kind of gotten more popular for one reason or another. Maybe because people read a blog or maybe just because other people had a similar journey and ended up in the same place. I mean, um, and there has been, I think, some recognition in a broader press of some of the writing you've done. I mean, you've had many mentions uh, from the New York Times, uh, for example. And, you know, there's, I think uh, you've been invited to different sorts of tastings as a result of, you know, some of the appeal of the blog. I think. You know what, though? So that's true. Um, in some cases, I think that, and actually this is something you, I mean, so you and I have been friends for a while, and this is something that you said to me a long time ago, and it, I think it, I would say that this is more the reason why I might get invited to do something nuts. I would say that um, from, the, from where I sit, sometimes if you look at the wine world, and my only view to it is New York City and through, it's not a random sample, you know. Um, it seems as though that um, some people are very competitive about what they're doing and they're perhaps more interested in, you know, w waving accomplishments like flags as opposed to discussing and sharing thoughts and knowledge. Um, you know, for me, that's, I don't like that in anything I do. And it's, I find it particularly sort of repellent in the world of wine around this thing that's supposed to be an object of pleasure and sensuality. Um, you know, so, uh, I'm very 
conscious of the attitude that I feel and making sure that that's what gets projected if I write something, which is one of wanting to gather knowledge uh, so that I can learn, just so that I can have it. Um, and not never to present myself as an authority on, on anything in this area, which I'm not. And I think that's why it makes it easier for people to have me around in some of those cases, because I'm not going to be a jerk about it. You know? I think your writing style is very patient. Like you take the time to explain things in a way that I think if, um, you know, if I were maybe just writing a tasting note for myself, I might have a shorthand, but I feel like often you'll kind of really take a moment or a paragraph or a sentence to really explain some of the small nuances of what you mean uh, when you're talking about one flavor versus another, one wine versus another, uh, how it affected your meal. I feel like you bring the reader through. Is that something that you really, it feels like you want them to understand, but in a way that's, uh, as I say, patient, like you're understanding that they may not get it right away and you kind of want to bring them along with you. Well, it's because I get if I get excited about an experience and I'm going to write about that, then I want to sh- I want it to be clear what it was that excited me. You know, I want to I want to share the excitement about that thing. What are some of your favorite pieces looking back over a couple of years? I mean, that I wrote? Yeah. Uh Pieces that don't really have so much to do with wine, to be honest. Uh huh. Well, there are, you know, you do uh, a lot of pieces on food, you know, where to eat in a different city you've done. Or I remember there was a great poetic piece um, about kind of the changes in your life, but also the snow and, and like the snow had covered the city and you talked about being snowed in your building. And it was a real, like really with the pictures and the words that you use, it really encapsulated that moment of feeling of how things, you know, it was very, very clear. Well, it's interesting. It might've been clear to you because as a friend of mine, you knew that at that time I was going through a lot of personal problems and I wasn't sure what was going to happen to my marriage. And when I wrote that, I was kind of conscious at the time that there were parallels to what was happening in my personal life as expressed in that post. But there's no way anyone who wasn't close with me would know that. Um, you know, what favorite posts, I would say, as far as just the ones that gave me the most pleasure to write, um, the one where I finally came clean uh, on the blog about the fact that I've been quiet and haven't been writing much, and when I have, there had not been a lot of soul in it, and I thought that was evident, it's because I got divorced, and I just wasn't able to share that um, on this sort of anonymous blog. But I, it turned out then that I actually needed to in order to then be able to go back to regular writing. That just felt good to write. And the response it got from readership was actually really quite moving to me. Um, I loved uh, any anytime April Fool's Day comes around every year, I try to do something that's subtle. Um, you know, and I, my sense is most people don't realize I'm joking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I think know, it takes me a while, <laughs> certainly, like a couple of paragraphs. The last one was hysterically funny. <laughs> I'm so glad you thought so. Yeah, that was... Uh, that, that took a while to piece together. I bet. Really With the pictures that. and stuff, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I happened know. to have been in the Hudson Valley on a day oh, trip. Oh, I see, I and see. And so I took a lot of photos. With the car and the leaves, it's like, how do you set that up, you know? You, know, you don't. You yeah. see, I saw them there, and I was like, my God, that's exactly the way they would park. I don't know. It just, it just, <laughs> it just made sense to me. Um, but, you know, as far as wine posts, I would say that um, perhaps my – I mean, I haven't thought about this beforehand, but the one that comes to mind now was something that you were present for. Um, a sherry dinner that Peter Leem did um, at Prune, where what we were doing was tasting the different bottlings of the Sanchez Ayala Solera in the yeah, La Bota. Yeah, that was a great dinner. Eight, 16, 22. And the idea of 
I feel like that hadn't been done before in the sense that um, we were, you know, the idea of tasting um, a wine, uh, like the analogy I made in the blog was if you were going to drink Robert Chevillon's sure. Nuit Saint-Georges, if you wanted to drink the 1990 at different stages of its life, you'd have to do it at different years. Right. But here we were doing, we were tasting a wine at different stages of its life at one dinner. Exactly. And it was really an amazing thing to do. It was kind of like drinking in a black hole. You know, you could see all the history in one moment of time. You know and, what I mean? And it, and it was fascinating. It, it was a great thing. The way we and that to me was an example of the heaven as far as wine dinner. Everyone who was there was talking, sharing what they were thinking. There was this. There was there was no wagging of of you know trophies. It was all that to me is the way to do it. And writing about it afterwards, I don't know. I just feel like I I was able to to hit it. Um, what it was that we did and why it was fun. But I, I mean, when you ask, you know, what are my favorite posts, they're less to do with, you know, the wine sharing part than just things that were meaningful to me, I guess. Well, that's fair. I mean, it is kind of a personal log. I remember, uh, you know, a lot of how it's set up is very personal to you. I remember you're saying, well, I don't want to upgrade the user interface because I don't want to lose this background. And this background of the dots is something that was in the old blogger interface and i think if i upgrade it's not going to be there anymore and i I really don't want to change the look of my blog it's it's kind of like a very it's like setting up a room in your house and you're like oh that's where i want the chair that's where i want the painting you know yeah it's pretty low-key um it's been consistent for many years now and you know i mean it's funny some people who who know that i do the blog they, they they say to me you know so how come you're not on Facebook or how come you're not sure, this or that? promoting and it's, it's amazing how completely of a technical idiot I am. You know, I mean, you had to show me how to check statistics on yeah. my blog about two months ago. Yeah, I remember you that. Know, I that never was even. I don't care. Moment. I just don't care. You know, I mean, it's not what it, why I'm doing it. But then when we did do that, we saw that you had huge stats because apparently you resonate with a fairly broad readership. Well, I if you think. say so. I mean, I don't know what the range of types of readerships are, but if you, you know, so I really don't know. But I mean, yeah, it is kind of cool, I guess. I mean, you know, there's, I don't know how many people read wine blogs every day, but um, it feels, it does definitely feel good that, you know, some of those people are, mine is one of them, you know, so it's nice. What would you say to someone who was thinking about starting up a blog? I mean, you've been fairly successful, maybe not in monetary terms, but certainly in terms of uh, readership and credibility. Uh, and you know referrals people refer along your pieces as kind of um, if not the definitive notion about a particular topic in wine then certainly an approach to that topic like saying oh well you know if you're thinking about serving a brown cherry you might want to think about some of the issues this person raises in terms of opening in advance or maybe using a certain type of glass Um, there aren't a lot of other places you can go for that sort of uh, information on that topic or several other topics. You know, if you want to talk about Cote de Champenois and a comparative tasting, there's not so many places you could go. Um, so, well, what, I mean, how many, how many, how many places are there where you would go if you wanted to learn? You know, well, it's not fair to ask you, but imagine. Okay, so just imagine, you know, someone who likes wine and who who is willing to read about it. How many places are there for them to go if they want to learn something specific? You know, I mean, you've got to go get a textbook somewhere, or I just feel like there really aren't that many places. I think that blogs, especially a couple of years ago, were really exciting in that way. But now the whole social media explosion, way more wine blogs and wine sites are about helping to sell products. Right. 
Um, that to me, I have no interest in. So if you ask, you know, what would you say to someone who's going to do that? I, I'm not qualified to answer. But what would I say to someone who wants to um, be creative and write something about their experiences with wine? I guess I would say, um, be honest. And like I would say about doing anything, think about what it is you're trying to do before you do it. And, and then, you know, do that thing. Don't, don't just be randomly writing whatever. You know, have like basically, I guess what I'm saying is develop a viewpoint and try to express that. Do you feel like your own viewpoint has changed a little bit? I feel like your narrative voice has become, you may say it's not authoritative, but I feel like it's become more confident over the years. I think that's true. I mean, it's just a matter of gathering experience. Um, you know, back then when I started the blog, I already knew enough to know how much I don't know. Um, and I think that it, is very clear in my writing back then. Um, I haven't looked in a while, but the last time I looked, you know, the, the voice is it's identical as far as my personality, it's still me, it's very clear. Um, still, you know, but the way I would discuss wine was, was far, um, I guess maybe confident would be a good word for it. You know, I'm still not that confident with, with it. I mean, I, there's a couple of types of wines where I have some context and I can feel a bit more confident about those, but they're very few. Um, more of them, you know, if I ever have any confidence, it's just about because I feel like I know what I like and I know how to understand that. Um, so I guess, yeah, my voice has changed a little bit. But I still wouldn't ever, I, I hope anyway, write something that tries to present, okay, here's some things that are true about this and right, you, should, right, right. you should now know those things. Thank you for being here. Well, it's also possible that maybe you speak a little bit more about those topics that interest you and that have interested you for a while. Like you've gone maybe more in that direction where you've said, you know, there's more pieces about champagne. There's more pieces about sherry. There's maybe some more pieces about Riesling. Whereas before it might have been more like, oh, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this. That's also a great point. Um, and, and actually, I've been reminding myself lately that I need to, um, both on the blog and, well, for myself, force myself to drink things that are sort of outside of my comfort zone. I mean, because what's happened is that I find myself in this place right now uh, where it's hard, it's hard for me to, um, you know, like I find myself never wanting to drink red wine, for example. I mean, I do, but I'm so much more picky about it. Um, you know, I just find myself wanting to drink fewer things or, or fewer types of wines. Um, and so it, you wind up in this rut where you're drinking, I think, awesome stuff, but it's just the same kinds of things. And so it's nice to be able to Say, well, wait a second. You know, there's a lot out. There's a lot more out there. Let's try some other things. It's just that it's hard because I'm sure I don't know if you ever experienced this, but you get to a point where you kind of know. Well, if I'm going to drink Beaujolais, I kind of know the one I want to drink. Right. Um, it's not that I would turn down a glass of another one, but if I'm going to go buy it, I know the one spend I want. Money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I just find that that's happening to me with most of the categories of wine that I drink, and I want to try to get out of that a little bit. So, I mean, let me ask you, as someone who has Brooklyn in your name, do you feel like that's become more of a thing where people have been like, hey, I want to associate myself with Brooklyn over the last, say, six years? I mean, obviously, you were in there really early, but I feel like now a lot of times people are like, Brooklyn pickles, Brooklyn <laughs> this, Brooklyn that. Do you know, know that the, the newest artisanal shop, uh, this could have been from that April Fool's post. This is true. There is now a store in Brooklyn in Prospect Heights whose wares just mayonnaise. Oh, yeah. Artisanal mayonnaise. Yeah. That's all they sell. Is that is that the Fatty Crew guys? No, it's a different one. Okay. Sam Mason. Oh, Sam Mason. Okay. I mean, 
I think that's great. And I no no ill will. I hope they do great and people should have good mayonnaise, you know. Right. But it's just something tickles me about the idea that there's a store devoted. I mean, is it like would it be bad to also sell some bread and perhaps some lunch meat? I mean, right, I don't right, know. Right, it's right, just right. funny. It just strikes me as funny. So I don't really know. I'm I I would be uh completely misrepresenting myself if I tried to say that I am in touch with the pulse of what's cool. Have um, you seen it change a little bit? I've seen Brooklyn change tremendously. Yeah. I mean, so I used to live in Prospect Heights. Um, there's some things that are, there's a lot of new stores that seem to cater to this sort of farm chic, um, you know, steampunk, uh, 1870s Wyoming sensibility, but there's some stuff that's been there for 10 years. Uh, there's a restaurant on Vanderbilt Avenue and Prospect Heights that was there, you know, when I moved there in 1999 and it was, and it's still there and it's still great. I think it's still the best meal you're going to get on Vanderbilt. Um, you know, so there's definitely things have changed. Um, but you know, there's still some some holdouts that I think are great also. So, I mean, have you thought about kind of bridging the gap between your persona uh, on the blog and then a broader sense? I mean, have you ever thought like, hey, maybe it's time to write a book or maybe it's time to go on a tour or maybe it's time. Why? And, and you're shaking your head. So why doesn't that interest you? Why do you want to keep the two things separate? For two, for a couple reasons. The first one is because this is not my work. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, I have work that I do. You know, I have a, I have a job that, sure. um, you know, I'm really lucky to say has has become a, a really good job that is very stimulating and where I can, you know, I have to think really hard and I interact with a lot of different people and it is, you know. I sort of see that you. I feel like I only have so much psychic energy, so much sort of stamina, um, so much social time in me. So I, you know, I have a, a limit to how much I can do, and the amount of energy, psychic and physical energy that I can put into sort of promoting myself as a worker, mm-hmm. um, I do it in, in a different venue. So for me, this is like pure pleasure. It's pure hobby. If I stop liking it, I'll stop doing it that day. Um, and in fact, I would say that if I ever were able to do anything professionally with this, I would channel anything that I could in that arena. And I kind of try to subtly on my blog into the people who I know who are professionals and to sort of promoting what they do. You so know? who are some of the people uh, right now that are standing out for you? Who are some of those people that you'd be supportive of in that way? Well, I mean, you know, for me, Peter Leem is somebody who, you know, mm-hmm. is, uh, I feel like, for me, you know, an icon uh, in the wine world. I mean, he, you know, is a walking encyclopedia, but he's the most, like, he's just such a sensual person. Mm -hmm. His experience of things is so deep and, um, you know, and nuanced, and he he has such a wonderful sensibility. Um, And when you combine that with uh, his incredible knowledge of many different types of wine, you know, there's a lot to love when you read his work. So right now he's writing ChampagneGuide.net, the yes. guide to champagne. And then he's also, I think, writing a book about sherry, if I'm not mistaken. He is. He is writing a book about sherry that I, is, I'm is i personally very in high anticipation of. I think that Peter, if you asked him, he quoted someone else when I asked him about this. And he said, well, you know, someone, I don't remember who it was, but somebody who he is like a mentor of his said, well, you can really only be an expert in one kind of wine. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's champagne. Sherry, you know, I'm trying to learn more. And I just love that, that that's his attitude because he's probably, you know, as far as amongst Americans, Americans, he's probably 
the form, the foremost expert. I mean, he's his expert as sure. anybody. Sure. You no, know, but I feel like that also encapsulated. And he's not someone who's going to speak really loudly and get in your face and all that. And perhaps, uh, you know, some. And he's he is a good friend of mine. And so, any opportunity I can take that's graceful, you know, I always try to say those things about him because they're true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I don't I don't know a whole lot of others, but I I feel like um, from what I can see from friends of mine, there are places in the the wine world um and i just don't know that much about this but it seems to me like any other business there are um not everybody who's gonna have the type of knowledge let's say that peter has or perhaps that you have is going to be able to find a niche for themselves that both allows them to make a living and makes them happy Mm -hmm. and i feel like peter could go do things that perhaps might make more money but he'd be miserable Um, and sometimes i wonder you know if Peter or you or there are people out there who have an awful lot to contribute, but I'm, you know, if I, you know, so when you say, would I want to write a book? No. And if I were ever asked, I would say, but you should talk to Levy or Peter, (laughs) you know. So let's take it back a little bit to how you engage with wine. Um, You know, one of the things I've seen is that you really do sort of um, use the traditional tasting note format uh, pretty consistently. Although sometimes you play with the form in terms of, I remember one one time you did a really funny piece where you described uh, the wines like they were the food dishes coming out. That was really funny. It actually took a while to like understand what was happening at first because you didn't like do an intro paragraph like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You just kind of did it. Um, And that was a great piece. But a lot of times you do the thing like um, this is how it's hitting my palate and these are the flavors that I'm tasting. And, you know, sometimes you hear people say like, oh, I don't like tasting notes that talk about uh, flavors. But, you know, certainly you find that meaningful. What would you say about your own engagement with wine? You know, maybe to someone who's, as you kind of target the blog to, just learning about wine. Well, so I don't put, um, if I write tasting notes I don't, and I, I actually don't really think of them as tasting notes. What I don't do, except April Fools two years ago, uh, is say you know notes of blackberry and lingonberry and loganberry and pinkberry and you know I mean I so I don't pinkberry is my favorite. <laughs> so I don't do that. Um, you know, it it might be an instance in which if I have enough of a familiarity with a wine where I actually feel like well. I'm, this wine to me does have a, a certain flavor or smell that I might put that in there. But more what I try to do, you know, so I don't think of it as tasting notes. I try to think of it as, you know, descriptions of my experience with that wine, what it smelled like and what it tasted like. But the descriptions I try to, uh, that, I, that I feel comfortable putting in are less often specific flavors or aromas and more often um, sort of within categories. Like, is it acidic? Is it balanced? Is it... Um, you know, full, is it light-bodied, is it pungent, is it, what, you know, things like that are, are, are more what I would put in more commonly. You know, one of the things I've seen in a lot of wine writing for decades is that people often divorce the, uh, the liquid and the experience of drinking the liquid from kind of like their own life, you know, especially I'd say in the history of American writing where people don't bridge the gap between these two things even though this is a beverage that's consumed and like becomes part of one's body people don't speak about it as if it were something that is part of them they speak about it as like something at a remove like you know to be analyzed like a foreign planet i could not agree with you anymore i think and one of the things that you see i think that's a manifestation of that is some people who are well respected and i'm not talking about robert parker i'm talking about just like 
dudes and yeah. women who we know who are yeah. well respected. Oh, I mean, I think it's common. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll say we'll make proclamations about a wine. They'll say like, oh, that that wine's this or that wine's that, and I mean, maybe it is. I, I don't really know. I'm sure they know better than I do. But what I've found is that, um, you know, you drink something one time and maybe you opened it and poured a glass for five people and that was the bottle. Right. And you didn't get to go back to it in 45 minutes. Right. Or maybe you drank it slowly over dinner. What'd you eat it with? What kind of, what was happening? I mean, not to try to sound, you know, all hokey. No, but that's, it, but it's true. that's what I think what I find so engaging about your writing is that you put it as, in the context of this is my life and this is how I engage wine you know, it's a part of the deal. Well, I think because I, you know. I think that's true about wine. I mean, so I'm gonna. So I remember a couple of years ago, you did a neat thing at your house. Um, you had like a boozy champagne evening. Sure, you I wanted to learn that, about yeah. the taste, which is a village in Champagne. Maybe yes. people wouldn't understand the joke there, yes. but yeah, B O U Z Y. It's a it's a it's a village known for red grapes and champagne. I think we and, did bill it as a boozy evening of champagne, though. Well, yes, you did. Like that. It's just funny. And so everyone brought a bottle, and we had a bunch of really interesting wine. And I remember the wine I brought that night, and this has got to be three years ago, yeah. was Benoit Lahaye. Um, a rosé, which is a macerated rosé. Right. And it's a wine that I remember thinking, you know, I'd had it once before and I loved it, but I remember kind of not being unsure whether or not to bring it because where I'd had it, I mean, that's a wine that you open it and really you, you need an hour or two with it because it just takes forever. Yeah. Um, and at that evening, I remember bringing it being like, well, but this is Levy, it's Joe Salmon. I mean, you know. Yeah, they'll people get it, they'll, we'll who, who will it, understand. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. You know, there no. was there were seventeen. You're still wines. blaming me for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I mean is that that to me is a great example of why. But here's one thing I noticed that didn't happen. Nobody was proclaiming anything about wine. I mean, we drank some stuff, we talked about it, and that's that. Well, I think yeah. I mean, I remember that dinner is kind of being like, hey, let's all check this out because none of us really we hear about it, but you don't really ever see it in context. And let's talk about it a little bit more. What what are we what are, what's happening with these? And to me, that's that to me is if I if I want to learn something about wine or if I the way I think of it, to me that evening is an interesting example because so what do I know now about that wine? What I know is that generally I love the wine, I love the producer, but I know that I'm not gonna open it and pour it for six people when we just are gonna have a glass before we eat dinner because it won't give the wine enough time. You know, so like to me that's an interesting thing to know. So if I'm gonna drink that wine, I might drink it with you. We'd open it, have a little bit, and then keep doing what we're doing and come back to it. You know, different wines have their different things to do with them. And I think that that's, to me, an interesting way to, or, well, that's true about the wines that are compelling to me anyway. So, I mean, it's kind of like in, you've seen an evolution in your own life and your approach to wine, but you also recognize that wine is not static and there's not a stasis. It's not this removed thing that is like a marble piece. It changes as well. And how you approach it can affect how it approaches you, I think. And I think that realization is something that really draws me to maybe your viewpoint. Because I, I see this as well, where people don't engage with wine, maybe specifically in this country, in a way that makes it part of their life, but makes it more that it's often more of, of like a, a product. Like you might approach like a car magazine or something, like something that's not very, um, you know, certainly it has its uses, but it's not something that is actually uh, going to change you or change how, you know, if you go up and you open it differently, your car door, it's not like the car changes. You know what I mean? It's not like suddenly you're driving a Porsche because you approached the Volvo and you opened it a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, uh, 
it's it's interesting that people often take a view um, like it's something that can be dissected that's different than um, life, you know, that's not an organic product, I guess. I think that's true. I mean, to me, you know, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that to some degree, if you're open-minded to this, that you're enjoyment of of a wine is going to be influenced by the way you interact with it by you know what happens sort of like you know if you go to a baseball game you know probably it's going to be fun no matter what like probably wine's fun to drink no matter what but what you do with the game and what you're expecting from the game and how you interact with the game is going to experience influence a lot of your enjoyment of that game same i would you know i if if i'm understanding what you're saying it's a similar idea do you feel like your own way of engaging wine has changed over the period of time it has and i can't say that i'm thrilled about it to be mm-hmm. honest with you i so mean tell i feel us a little bit about that so i do feel like i've developed i've had more experiences and i i know a little bit more than i did um and what's happened is I'm a little pickier. Yeah. So you're a little bit more of an expensive date now. I'm a little bit more. Well, it's not that it has to be expensive, but what happens is, is that I'm not as like I. You're not just as happy with whatever. It's so for like, example, when I'm at a, the restaurant where I was just traveling in another city for work and I see on the menu that there's, you know, El Maestro Sierra Sherry. Sure. Um, like I'd like to get that. But there was a point where I would have, well, I suppose I wouldn't have ordered it, but you know, I just would order it and let's see what happens. But when I see them take it off a shelf to pour it for me, I'm like, damn. Yeah. I should have looked before. I should have yeah. looked to see where the wine where the was being kept is. before yeah. I did that. And that's something that's, in a way, it's nice to know. I feel happy that I know have this knowledge. What yeah. I would consider to be quote the right way to store an already opened bottle of Fino Sherry. Right. But I feel sad that it's now harder for me to just enjoy whatever's on the menu at the restaurant. Right. So it's like a weird dual thing. But maybe by getting that message out, the restaurant would change in the future. Like maybe if there was a common understanding of how, you know, this might be more pleasurable if it were stored in a certain way, then maybe the people who made the decisions about how to store it in the restaurant would approach it that way. I I feel. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I certainly don't want to be the person who's, who starts right, right, to see right. myself as having the responsibility to say the right way to do things. Right, you know, you're not causing a scene not in a me. restaurant. First of like, all, I don't know it. And second of all, even if I did, it wouldn't be what would make me feel, uh, what would give me pleasure about writing the blog. No. So what do you think is uh, going to happen next with the blog? Are, are you going to continue to write it? You, you've talked a little bit about like, backing down a little bit from the workload. I'm going to continue to write it. Uh, I can't envision in the next few months writing it with more frequency than I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to continue to write it. I'll probably um, I mean, I enjoy writing it. It gives me it makes me feel happy to sit back and try to remember whatever it is that I want to write about and to sort of relive it a little bit and think about it some more and I enjoy writing. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. So, yeah, I, I have no I don't want to stop and I have no plans to stop, but I also, you know, I am a single parent. Um, I, you know, have a busy job. I try to see my friends. So, you know, there's less. I'm not willing to do it at the expense of any of those other things. So, it's really just a matter of when am I going to be able to do it. But a lot of your friends are wine people too. At least at this point, I don't know. Have you seen your social set really kind of move into like the some wine of the, crowd? some of the best friends I have I met through through blogging. Yeah, through yeah. writing. About I mean, that's kind of interesting. Is that something you want to speak about a little bit in terms of like, hey, if someone's going to start a blog? People are going to come back at you with like, "Hey, I enjoy what you're reading. Let's be pals." I mean, is that 
I mean, it well, seems that, like that, but, that's, but that's happened. The, but the, so that's not the way it happened for me. They didn't come back at me. I, I kind of <laughs> I badgered them. I mean, you know, an example is Peter. Um, I loved his writing to the point when I happened to be going out west to Portland for something or other. And I emailed him and I was like, look, I mean, we had already emailed a little bit. I mean, and he was being polite, responding to my questions about one thing or another. As he tends to be. As he tends to be. Uh, and I said, I'm going to be in, you know, Portland. Do you want to meet for dinner? Which is a somewhat absurd request to make of someone you've never met. Right. But he said, I'm having dinner with a group of people. You're welcome to join. And, you know, Peter is, has become one of my closest friends. Uh, you know, the people who I met through blogging stuff, you, Peter, other people, none of you guys came to me. I sort of tried to meet you. No, that's not true. I definitely approached you at a day's thing. I was like, hey, dude, nice to meet no, you. No, you're I forgetting. Your the first time we ever met Wine was and Wine Spirits. And Spirits. So yeah, I and I was like, you. you're a Brooklyn guy. I don't remember it that way. No, I remember being like, I remember like badgering I him. remember going up to you and being like, um, are you Levy Dalton? No, that's not, that's entirely not true. I actually, I think at the time you mispronounced my name. You were like, are you Levy? Because <laughs> I may have heard of you. Or was that Larry? <laughs> I have a, I've mispronounced several important wine people's names. <laughs> no, it's actually, my name is uh, wonderful because it allows you to gauge very quickly how well someone knows me. You know, when they come to the restaurant, they'll be like, is Levi here? And I'll be like, that's probably not his best friend. That's probably someone looking for, you know, like, a, yeah, it's, it's a different little world. So let's hear a little bit about some of your current thoughts, um, you know, whether it be wine or what you're thinking about with the blog. What are you, what's going well, you on? You know, so I don't know if these are current thoughts, but I'm, we've been talking and I've been, you know, some of the questions that you're asking, it's, I think it's interesting, you know, they make me think about, um, me and my interaction with wine. It's less about, uh, you know, what do I think is going to happen next in the wine business and all that stuff, which I don't what really do know. What do you think is going to happen? What do I think is going to happen next? Sitso is going to be huge. Sirico, baby. Yeah, yeah, right, um, right. What, you know, but it's funny, a few years ago when I was trying to build my business and before it was clear if that was going to happen, you know, I used to fantasize about, well, what would I, if I had a wine bar, what would, what would I put on my yeah. list and stuff like that, you know? And, I think that I've had um, that fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and I still, you know, I still think about what so what do I what's my dream place to go be? Yeah. And I don't know that it exists, but I I do think that uh a few things that are happening when you look about what what are people talking about with wine now, I feel like um, you know, sorry to sound cynical, but just aren't that interesting. Like this mm -hmm. whole natural wine debate to me is mm -hmm. which is comes up like every day. And I understand that it's real and I'm not trying to denigrate the people who have opinions about this. Yeah. I will also say th that to me it's like a it's an argument that is kind of parallel the gen to, general to the, point. to the thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, um here's so maybe a Sunday or two ago, I took my daughters to have dinner at a place in Brooklyn that's a BYO place, it's a Middle Eastern place. And I went with another friend of mine who is a is a wine lover, sure. and his wife and his daughter. And there's a wine uh, that I just learned about very recently uh, from a grape that I might even mispronounce right now, Grignolino. Okay. And it's uh, a wine that uh, Charlie Woods brings in. I think it's probably a popular winemaker in Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I loved the wine, and it's the only example of it I ever had. Oh, really? Oh, wine. okay, okay. And I loved it. And so I brought that, uh, I didn't bring it to that dinner, but I'd had it another evening with that friend. And so, you know, I loved it. Heights on. makes one. 
in California. It's really strange, but they yeah. Do. Okay, so I've not had the American version, but so I just had, and I've only had one Italian version. Well, now I've had a second one, and okay, so one thing that I never do on my blog is write about stuff that I don't like, and I know that maybe some people would say, "Well, that's you an interesting stylistic choice to do that." And it is a decision, and the the idea behind it is I'm aware of the fact that you know if I want to understand. A, a wine reviewer, I need to know what they don't like and what they like, or else sure. I can't really figure it out. But I'm not a wine reviewer, and I don't feel that same responsibility. In fact, I feel a responsibility as someone who I, in my judgment, is not uh, qualified to to say on a from a public pulpit. I don't like that, or say something bad about it. You know, I could be wrong. It's just my take on it. I'm not gonna. This is someone else's livelihood, and it's not my work. Uh -huh. You know, so I just sort of made the decision that I'm gonna get excited about what excites me and what I like, but I'm not gonna denigrate things. Sure. Um, so here's about to be one teeny exception <laughs> because I had, it's the only way I can make this point. So I learned about this wine that I liked. I had this one example of it. What I loved about it was that it was. Technically, it would be on the red wine shelf or on uh -huh. the red side of your list, but the wine was barely red. Right. You know, it was just like this crystal clear, kind of rose-colored, but very pungent and yeah. intensely aromatic and well-structured, gorgeous wine. Yeah, you know, twelve percent alcohol. I mean, I loved it. Like Rousseau Rouquet, or exactly. This yeah. producer's Pulsar. name I can't remember right now also makes a, a really nice Rouquet. My friend who I'd had the wine with brought another version of the Grignolino to dinner. Mm -hmm. Different producer. Got it by a by a importer who is beloved in the natural wine. Oh, you're talking about Travine. Yes. I yeah, know. I don't like that one either. Well, I so he brought the bottle and my I think first it's a little reaction is, usually. my first reaction was, well, so that's just awesome. Like this is a buddy of mine and we both enjoy this other wine together and now he's, he's bringing another version of it. Yeah. That's just nice, right? Yeah. So we open it, we pour it and this hits on a couple of things we've talked about. Yeah. A few years ago, I think I would have liked that wine. Yeah. And the reason is because the wine tasted fine and it smelled fine. Yeah. What it didn't do was smell or taste anything like Grignolino. Uh -huh. To me, it smells it like, like carbonic, yeah. weird, you know, just, quote, natural wine. And right. I'm not trying to diss natural wine and right, I don't right. know anything about that producer. All I'm saying is that that interested me, that I understood how I have changed and that I... I wouldn't buy that wine and I didn't like it and I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not saying it's bad wine. I'm sure it's got its fans. But, you know, what what I feel like where I am now, thoughts for me are that it's foolish to reject things based on uh, I love Ritter or Champagne. Uh -huh. This is a big house. Right. This is not cool. Right. But the wine is great, I right. think. I don't know if you like it or not. But no, I mean, I, I, I really like their wines. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like it's very easy. It's unhip to like a big house champagne at this time. I feel like it's very easy in a lot of things, um, music, wine, in most things, for people to really take strong stands on things. And then it becomes right. easy to take strong stands on things, even if you haven't really fully experienced those things. Well, it's sometimes a lot easier. It's actually, very tempting to do. Because it's not complicated if you've only had a few examples. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I think that um, it's, you know, it's sort of a shame. I mean, right. whatever. It doesn't influence me. I'm going to try to figure out what I like on my own. But I mean, I feel like I like that about where I am with wine. Right. I want to know for myself. Um, I don't care if it's cool or not. You know, I want to see if I like it. And um, Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would just add to that is that over, say, 15 years of kind of being around wine professionally, what I've noticed is that things that were used to be, I mean, whole categories, but also producers that were super unhip, like for everything that they did and for all those reasons are now for those exact same reasons and because of everything they're doing, super hip. And uh, I think when you see that progression, when you see people, 
in print denigrating things and you just assume that they must be right because they're taking the time to say it. And You're talking about like Sherry or something? Really firm about it. More like traditional style Barolo oh. or uh, traditional style California Cabernet or, uh, you know, things with tannins usually. Um, but, you know, Sherry too, I guess. But, you know, uh, basically anything that you would uh, sum up as that's traditional. At one point when I first started, my career in the late 90s serving wine uh that was very uncool hmm. that was like what you went away from everyone was like they don't know how to handle tannins they don't know what ripeness means well you know there's a there's a business side of this world and then there's a right. personal enjoyment and pleasure side and you you have to interact in both you know for me i just interact in the personal pleasure part well what i'm saying is that the group think was so heavy against those wines but now it's quite the opposite and the group think is actually quite in favor of those wines yeah, much I, as it what rotor is actually a test case i mean it? in a way because people still don't think those wines are cool or grower champagne used to be zero and now it's extraordinarily popular among at least amongst the restaurant set not necessarily the retail set but uh and so now it's like uncool to like Rotor or Lanson as examples. But those are wines I'm actually really drawn to. So, uh, and and it, it will be for the same reasons. Dosage, size, buying in grapes, uh, multi multinational holdings, you know, where people own multiple businesses under the same umbrella. Um, all of those reasons are, used to be what was popular about it, now is what's holding it. Uh, popular conception yeah, back. I think that this is going to be true with Sherry also in that, you know, these are things that people are becoming more interested in here and we're going to have to get over some of that group think as far as the way we've been thinking about, you know, natural and stuff like that and other wines. I mean, you, you go to any restaurant now, I don't know Man Manhattan restaurants anymore, but you go to any Brooklyn restaurant and besides the fact that many of them all look the same now, the wine lists are remarkably similar. There's a couple of importers right. and distributors. I really feel that from. that's true. It it's is, like there's like a kit. It's not terribly creative, right. to be honest. And you know, and these are considered edgy places. They are considered edgy places. But how do you be edgy if you don't? Let's say you have someone like you know. I mean, if it's not you or, or people with half of the knowledge you have making the wine list, there's a couple of importers you can go to. You buy Dressner wines, right. buy, and most and of the we time, like those, those wines. I like those wines. Most I'm just saying it's funny how often it's the same list. That's right. It's hard to, I think, with decor and even with food, it's much easier to do something unique in a way. You know, uh, there was a, a guy, and his name is escaping me for a moment, but he was a, a postmodern architect, and he had this theory that you either have ducks or you have painted sheds. And his his thought was either you have a square box that uh, has decorations on it, whether it be paintings or paint or whatever, and that's your your building, and that's a painted shed, or you have something that's physically a duck, like you go by and these guys are uh, you know they sell. Uh, scuba diving gear or they sell like fish lures or whatever and the actual shape of the building is like a dinosaur or a duck or a fish like they actually made a giant fish and put it to the side of the road and in there they serve salmon you know it reflects what it actually is and i would say that ducks are extraordinarily rare in the business and there's a lot of painted sheds <laughs> there's a lot of like it's the same list but around the edges it looks like a different list like the cover is different but then you open it up and you're like oh look it's still a box like all of these are the same this is the you know that's a wall that's a wall they go parallel then there's two walls that go you well know. i think it's hard it's hard to um know enough about something 
to, and to be able to present it, um, you know, to, to guests coming into your restaurant, especially in like a small restaurant in Brooklyn that's trying to be edgy. There's probably right. not a whole lot of money for the wine. List. But still, it's sort of unfortunate. I feel like we are in this unprecedented time now. There's, there's all these so wines. Much great it's wine. kind of funny that, yeah. And know. it's a shame now. We've almost, it's a shame now that the way to make a quote good wine list right. now at a new restaurant is, well, I don't really know that much about this. Let me just like have someone from Dressner send me a bunch of stuff and I'll just put that on the list. And the wines probably are going to be good, but there's a lot of great stuff out there. And, you know. Yeah. And I, I think we're also lining up Dresner for too much like verbal hits, but you know. Oh no, I love those you know wines. I, mean? yeah. I love those I mean, I have more Dresner wine than any other wine. I mean, this what I, I'm just using them because they have been so successful right. at um, bringing in these amazing crew of wines right. uh, that people have latched onto them, and now people no longer need to actually know anything about them. If you see Dresser right. on the back, you know it's a good wine, exactly. and that's true. Um, and, and it just wasn't that different. A I long just feel ago. though like people it's should just be created. They were completely the other guys' wines. You know, it used to be people used to get the sommelier help kit before. It's just that. That was from someone else. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, I'd much rather it, that kit it, be from Dressner than. Anyone. Yeah, no doubt. It's just kind of too bad that that's that's what happens. The herd mentality. Yeah, what, I'm, almost, what I'm saying is that's true. What I'm saying is less about where the wine's coming right. from and more just about that. You know, there's it's room, hard to find real diversity. You can yeah. go and you can find an Ethiopian restaurant in an Indian restaurant and a Peruvian restaurant, and funny, a lot of the wines are the same. You know, that kind of thing. That's the shame. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so. My friend, I want to thank you for your time, uh, the Brooklyn guy, uh, and the name of the blog is brooklynguylovewine.blogspot.com, and uh, it was a pleasure as always to speak with you because I find you an articulate, patient, and reasoned voice, and someone who thinks very deeply about uh, how he engages with wine and what he is about to say, even as he looks at me very sillily uh, in a way that you know makes me feel like I'm three, but that's fine um, because I enjoy that too. Uh, I thank you for your time, and, and I, I hope to read as many of your future pieces as you will have the time to write. Well, it was very nice to do this with you. Thank you for inviting me. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.